For automakers, the road to electrification could be a bumpy one. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Automobile manufacturers are placing their bets on the future of electric vehicles. Given current sales and general enthusiasm for the technology, it seems like a pretty safe wager. But the devil's in the details, specifically the timing of the transition from internal combustion engines to EVs and the external factors that will determine whether the ambitious goals of government and industry can be met. On this episode, we explore those factors with Vanessa Miller, partner and head of the National Auto Team with the law firm of Foley and Lardner. We discuss challenges such as labor availability, shortages of critical raw materials, rising freight costs, and the build-or-buy decisions that manufacturers must make as they assemble the elements of a complete car. Finally, we ask, is there a limit to the market for EVs? Here's my conversation with Vanessa Miller. Vanessa Miller, welcome to the show. Thank you. Vanessa, what do you see as being the big challenges that auto manufacturers face today in moving toward electrification of vehicles? I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is deciding the right timing for betting on and launching the electrified program in that there are major capacity constraints right now across all manufacturing industries, and automotive is no different. There are labor shortages, freight costs that, that are higher than ever before, and capacity constraints that companies are dealing with, all the way from the, the OEM manufacturer level down through the supply chain. Decisions need to be made, bets need to be placed, and you need to decide where you're going to allocate your resources. So it's going to be a major decision for companies with looking out on the horizon with auto programs extending as long as they do with the production and the validation process and development of these programs happening many years before a vehicle is ever launched, such that you have to make these decisions now for far into the future for programs that may extend 10 years or they may not be successful, the volumes may not be there. Well, you talk about timing and you talk about placing bets. Uh, to some extent, though, some of that timing is being imposed externally on the auto manufacturing industry, specifically the Biden administration's goals for 2030. What is it, 50% of all new car sales to be electric vehicles? State of California, even tougher. All vehicles by a certain date, new vehicles to be electric. I'm just wondering... Is that at all realistic? I want to talk about these specific challenges that you brought up a moment ago in detail, but just for the larger question, the external timing, is that just sort of pie in the sky or is that something that these manufacturers are actually striving to reach? Certainly manufacturers are taking strides to meet those very lofty and aggressive goals. It remains to be seen whether those goals will be realized or whether there's going to need to be some dose of flexibility and realistic 
practical considerations that come into play. For example, with all electrified vehicles, they will need charging stations and charging capabilities at major locations where drivers go every day in their daily lives, including their every driver's home or apartment complex will require a charging station as well as at their place of work. And right now, looking around, there's many states that are doing a good job. California, I think, is, is putting infrastructure in and investing significantly, but many states are not, and they're not set up or designed the roadways and the workplaces and the parking lot to handle the influx of EVs that is planned. So these are targets and they're lofty. There's a way to get there, but we're behind other countries in making that happen. For example, Europe is far ahead of us in the regard of getting an infrastructure in place, charging stations in place, and making it a viable solution for the daily commuter. Well, let's back up for a moment. I do want to get back to the whole charging infrastructure issue, but let's get back to the production side of it for a moment and talk about some of the raw materials that need to go into these cars and whether they are indeed available at a sufficient scale to meet these production requirements, starting with things like rare earth minerals, starting with other types of uh, raw materials, and of course, chips, microchips. Is this uh, an issue right now? Are there sufficient stocks of these raw materials right now to meet current, let alone future, production needs? Remains an issue across the automotive supply chain with respect to the minerals, the inputs for batteries, and microchips. We saw the semiconductor crisis play out and the massive impacts that that had on the auto industry. We expect that there will continue to be issues and reprobations of the supply chain shortage in that regard. Since there have been line downs as a result of the semiconductor shortage, and since companies have gotten very serious about ensuring continuity of supply for critical components such as semiconductors and batteries and the the electrification inputs that are going to go into vehicles. With that, we have seen joint ventures being entered into. We have seen new joint development agreements between new entrants and companies. We've seen outright ownership. OEMs looking to own battery manufacturers uh, so that they have a secured source, semiconductor manufacturers, so they have those inputs that are necessary. But there's still a lot of work to be done in that regard. And even underlying all those two critical components, which are the batteries and the semiconductors, you have a number of other different raw material inputs. While the U.S. does have the minerals and the raw materials in order to manufacture all of the vehicle needs for North America for the foreseeable future, we don't have the mining infrastructure set up for that. So that will always be a strain on our supply chain because the mining and the environmental regulations and everything that we need to go into extracting those minerals is not currently in place and likely will not be in place. We will need to look to other countries, the traditional players for those raw material inputs, even though there are battery plants being built side by side with OEM, OEM assembly lines and semiconductor plants that now are in joint ventures with U.S. OEMs. 
Interesting you talk about these new relationships. I wondered if there's a move toward redefining supplier relationships. You mentioned specifically that of the ownership of battery production, which is something that Tesla has pioneered. Do you believe that some of that OEMs will be seeking more to take in-house at least the battery production part of it to mitigate against any risk of not getting access to sufficient batteries? Or will there be, instead of the taking ownership, the joint ventures that you mentioned to, they'll be tight, but they'll still be with an independent provider? This has been a tug of war in the auto industry for many decades. The question of to build or to buy. Mm. Many years ago, the OEMs wanted to build and own all of their componentry and have inputs into it and have design specifications around it and then own the intellectual property. Then we saw a, a swift movement away from that saying, no, I want my supply base to own their own technology, to be the expert in how to build the particular assembly or component that I ultimately put in the vehicle. And then there are certain risks and liabilities that go with that, with the ownership aspect of not owning those assemblies, those designs, that IP. And now we're, you're right, we're seeing a turn again to OEM saying it's actually more important that I own and build this product, the battery, for example, so that I ensure that this is my sole source supplier for this, I have the intellectual property, and I have full control over this component, which is the heart of the vehicle. I think we'll see in the future that there will be a movement away from it again, because, of course, there's, there's always the flip side of the coin, and there's, there's just additional risk associated with it. And to the extent that OEMs do continue to seek more traditional relationships with suppliers, are we seeing a meaningful shift in sourcing to the extent of nearshoring back to Mexico and other parts of Latin America or reshoring back to America in any aspect of electric vehicle production? Besides the investment in certain battery manufacturers located in the U.S., we have not seen as significant of a movement as one would have expected, given the major supply chain issues that the auto industry faced over the last three years. The idea of reshoring, nearshoring has a lot of value, but to make it feasible and to actually effectuate on that strategy, there are so many components spread across the globe. And even though that brings with it certain risks, with respect to continuity of supply, force majeure events, geopolitical issues, and other concerns, still in the auto industry, profit margins are so narrow and cost is king. And the pricing of these components is really what drives the purchasing decisions that are made at the front end. But it can't be pricing, just pricing. If it were that, if it was you're going for the cheapest and you just get everything from China, but we've learned the price of that, haven't we? That's exactly right, because with price, you have to also consider price on the back end. What sort of line-down situations happened and how much did those cost us? How about freight expedite issues where we needed parts immediately and needed to air freight them from China? Significantly more expensive than the overseas freight that we had planned in our cost walk and our quote. Other issues with respect to tariffs and import issues that we didn't consider in the initial cost walk. So yes, cost overall is important, but we're still seeing the auto industry be primarily a sole source 
industry that operates on a global basis, not looking at regionalization as much as some other industries may. Now, if it weren't complex enough, just the shift toward electric vehicles by itself, we have the increasing sophistication of infotainment systems within the automobiles and the increasing proliferation of more sophisticated software. Now, Cars have, maybe you could construe them as rolling computers. They've been that way for a few years to some extent. But now, my goodness, now there's so much computer technology, so much built into that, and the infotainment systems are so sophisticated. Is that going to provide a challenge to automakers in terms of meeting these targets that they like to meet for the creation of these very sophisticated vehicles? It already is providing hurdles and challenges to the automaker. Several years ago, an infotainment system was a luxury perk. That was something that the dealers tried to sell you as an add-on in your vehicle. Now they are standard. They're expected, including the backup cameras, the sensors that tell you if there's a car next to you. These are becoming safety features in vehicles, whereas before we used to rely on those old-fashioned things called the mirrors in our car. Now (laughs) people are looking to technology to tell them what's going on around them in their cars. And that is driving a change both with regulatory change, it drives a change in consumers' expectations of what their vehicle offers, and of course, it drives changes in specifications and manufacturing. With the requirements and the software and the more complex piece of it, which is this massive computer system embedded in every vehicle and the mirrors, you have additional areas where things can stop working, or there can be glitches, or you need software updates. And we are definitely seeing more focus on the infotainment system as an important critical component of the vehicle than ever before, which is driving companies to invest more in R&D around the infotainment system, do more consumer studies around the infotainment system. But it's also driving, there's some lag because you have these newer infotainment systems that are being released. Meanwhile, there's vehicles that have the old infotainment systems that didn't have those heightened specifications that the new infotainment system meets. These are much cheaper, older technology that's in a number of these vehicles. But now there's these safety regulations being issued and requirements out there that weren't there before, yet people are still driving around in these older models expecting their vehicles to have the newest, greatest computer in them. So there's a lag, and it's creating some level of disputes among the geared supply base. Design issues there, because we heard recently that a lot of automakers want to move away from the touchscreen aspect to these infotainment systems because they aren't safe, they aren't easy to operate while you're driving, and they want to go back to actual buttons of all things. So maybe what was old is new again in that that regard. I don't know. Okay, but... Let's go back for a moment to the raw material side of it. So many of these infotainment systems do require chips and other types of components that are sometimes there and sometimes not. In fact, we heard during the height of the chip shortage, some of the luxury vehicle makers were pulling back on infotainment systems. They didn't have the chips to put into them. So is in a way, is it being held hostage to the ups and downs of chip supply, and other types of component supply, or do you expect that supply to smooth out in the future and for that not to be an issue as companies try to build these sophisticated systems? With respect to the chip issue, we have seen in the last year the OEMs 
going directly to the chip suppliers and ensuring a supply of microchips. That has smoothed out a number of the issues that were occurring in 2022 with respect to the microchips because you then have, it's not just a situation where you are going through the supply chain and requiring your tiered suppliers to procure their own chips. The OEMs have gone out and gotten their own market share of the chips by entering into these strategic partnerships with certain chip suppliers. And it has been a, a good result for continuity of supply with respect to the electrical component. Vanessa, do you think with all the excitement and press about electric vehicles out there right now, do you think that realistically there might actually be limits as to the potential market for these cars? I mean, number one, how many you mentioned about we've got to put charging stations out there in uh, businesses and homes and apartments, but there are a lot of people who don't have access to a plug-in overnight. Their cars are on the street. A lot of people who still go long distances in their cars, for which uh, electric vehicles are not necessarily that well-suited. Do you think that there might actually be a cap on the taste and on the desire and demand for electric vehicles in the end? A number of analysts think that there will be. And in the short term, at least, and I'm talking about maybe the next 10 years, there's just a, a practical hurdle that these electric vehicles are expensive. You're talking about new vehicles, and there's still going to be an entire marketplace for used vehicles that have the ICE engines in them. With respect to individuals that can't afford a new vehicle, can't afford to charge a vehicle, there will still be ICE vehicles on the road for quite some time. And there's going to be a desire for those vehicle owners to keep them running for as long as possible, which places even more strains on the automotive supply chain and the aftermarket industry, as well as additional concerns about extended warranties, more pressures on the suppliers that already have an obligation to supply these service parts at incredibly low volume, losing money on them every batch they send out, if these vehicles stay in service for longer than was anticipated because people do not want to switch to electric vehicles and they keep driving the other vehicles and repairing them, that's going to require service parts for as long as those vehicles are running, which creates an interesting challenge for the suppliers that got involved with the program maybe 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago and are, are losing money on every batch of parts they send out, service parts. So if we bring this back full circle from how we started talking about that, and that is the issue of timing, the issue of placing bets, it sounds like we're saying, at the risk of putting words in your mouth, it sounds like we're saying that the real timing is going to be based on actual realistic things like supply, like demand, like technology, like practicality, as opposed to arbitrary timing imposed by governments and, for that matter, manufacturers themselves. Would that be a fair statement to make? I think that that is the primary driver. Secondarily, you're always going to need government incentives and buy-in. There's going to need to be programs rolled out and input from the government that are going to help drive the primary consideration. But you need the demand for the vehicles, and then you need the ability to build the vehicles throughout the supply chain, and you need to make it profitable for the people that are doing that and the companies that are jumping in to the EV, jumping off the EV frontier and getting getting involved in these programs that are new and don't have guarantees around them. 
Vanessa Miller of Foley and Lardner, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me to talk about the real prospects of electrification of automobiles. What are the challenges? What are the possibilities, the potential? Thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you. That was my conversation with Vanessa Miller of Foley and Lardner talking about the short and long-term prospects for electric vehicles. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.